Hi, Don Thompson here with another podcast for you. I'm happy to be here today, and I thought I would discuss something that might perhaps make some people's eyes glaze over. I'm not sure, but I think it's important to talk about some of these ideas that I'm going to lay out. I'm going to title this podcast, Some Great Ideas, and what I'm going to do is step through some ideas from Western philosophy and detail a little bit about how some of these ideas have influenced me as a thinker. I have to say that most of my exposure to these ideas came through uh, my adventures in academics, specifically when I studied at UCLA for my master's and my bachelor's degree uh, quite a few years ago now. Actually, I'll be continuing my graduate studies into uh, a PhD program in media studies I decided at this late juncture in my life that, you know, it would be worthwhile to go back and see what people are thinking about uh, relative to media studies and and to get sort of a, an update uh, from academia along those lines. I, I have a, a penchant for um, academics. I, I really love thinking about uh, various uh, you know, ways that media can influence society. And I've been really passionate about that for, for many years. So what I'm going to talk about here, uh, we're spoken to uh, at my programs at UCLA, the philosophical foundations for some of these ideas were laid out for me there. Uh, What I did not find in my academic quest, and and probably will not find within my upcoming journey into a PhD program, is really a recognition or discussion of Eastern thought, uh, which is really different from Western philosophy. The ideas of Buddhism and Hinduism and the Vedic philosophies and even shamanism. You might say spiritual notions, but also notions of logic. Really, Western philosophy has you know, drifted away from metaphysics for several hundred years now and really has a scientific slant to it, uh, which is you know, really in some ways a shame because metaphysics is still, I feel, an important area to deal with. So from my perspective, what I needed to do was to turn to the East to deal with uh, subjects that are typically considered to be more metaphysical and specifically, uh, you know, turning to Buddhism for that. But I will say that uh, within the academic world that Tibetan Buddhism has been embraced, is studied and is talked about and discussed, and uh, Buddhist philosophy is discussed, uh, certainly within comparative religions, of course, but uh, really, you know, Buddhist philosophy is taken quite seriously by, by Western academics. So what I'd, I'd like to, to uh, talk about uh, in terms of big ideas that I was exposed to at UCLA was there was a, there was a group of filmmakers really coming out of Europe, uh, mostly within the 1960s, who were countering some of the prevailing ideas related to what you might call the Hollywood style. Hollywood style, meaning a style of seamless editing, of really, uh, you know, hiding the fact that there was a movie being made, being uh, shown to you. What they really wanted to do was efface the idea that you're watching a movie. They want you to be so absorbed in watching the movie that you really don't think about the fact that you're watching a movie. You, you know, you become absorbed in the process. And um, this is really what Hollywood wants you to experience. 
They don't want you to think about the, the fact that you're watching a movie. There's a, there's a pleasure in getting lost in the movie, uh, in escapism, you could say, I guess. Um, at any rate, Hollywood wants you to be so absorbed that you, you, know, you become really swept up in the narrative. There are filmmakers out of France in particular, but also you know, other countries, Italy, for example, or later even in, in Germany uh, and uh, in, in, the, in the Netherlands. Uh, but these filmmakers in particular uh, out of France, they wanted to question Hollywood style. And they were really taking a look at how uh, you could break with the conventions of Hollywood and really call attention to the fact that you were watching a movie. They wanted you to be aware of the fact that you were watching a movie and call, and call attention to it. And by doing this, they, they became what was called uh, in academic terms, self-reflexive. In other words, they're looking at the process of, of making the movie and making that, uh, you know, making the audience aware of the fact that there is a process of making the movie. The reason for this is that they wanted to call into question the relationship between those that produce media and those that consume media. And generally speaking, it's a one-way street in the Hollywood uh, style of doing things. They want you to accept what's being said uh, without question, really. You sort of become, again, absorbed in the, the movie. The problem with this is that you could say um, the Hollywood style lends itself to a form of propaganda. It's a form of propaganda where they're convincing you of a particular point of view. And uh, this point of view, uh, particularly within the modern media matrix, uh, where so few corporations really control the media, there are certain types of messages and certain types of stories that tend to get promoted while other ones do not tend to get promoted. So uh, basically what you have is a form of, of propaganda, really, that, that, that you know, um, becomes the reality of media in modern, in modern society. You still have independent filmmakers that are questioning uh, these things and, and taking a look at social realities. And you have documentary films, of course, that will take a look at injustice and that type of thing. But for the most part, the mainstream uh, Cineplex movie, the one that the most of the people are going to and is making most of the money and getting the largest audiences, they don't tend to rock the boat too much. They tend to really reinforce sort of status quo thinking in the United States in particular, uh, but also in Europe, but, but in the United States, in the United States, has a viewpoint that is then propagated all over the world through these big blockbuster movies, you know, Marvel Comics movies and big blockbuster movies that really propagate a particular uh, style and worldview. When I would go to theaters in, in Europe, um, this has been a few years ago, and I would watch Hollywood movies uh, in these theaters, I would just be sort of amazed at, at how they, they, they really pummeled you <laughs> with loudness and, and kinetic editing and really overpowered you, you might say, uh, in terms of being these action movies that would just overwhelm you uh, with their point of view, usually having to do with the need for violence to resolve 
problems. So ultimately, the go-to place for resolving issues in, in terms of a story was violence. I mean, you have the hero and the villain, and the hero fights the villain to defeat. And that's really the, 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 the mem that's pervasive and remains pervasive to this day. Um, so the, the idea here is that this is really all just cultural. It doesn't have to be that way. It isn't necessarily you know, etched into the genetic makeup of human beings that we have to be violent or look at life this way. But the movies within the Hollywood style tend to promote it, and usually for uh, reasons that are supported by the major corporations, again, that control these, um, these major uh, cinema uh, you know, production houses. Now, in terms of propaganda, you know, uh, I tell people these things and they just look at me, you know, sideways and say, what do you mean propaganda? They, you know, really one person's truth is another person's propaganda. So uh, the, really the issue uh, in today's society uh, related to propaganda and related to, uh, you know, you might say issues of fragmentation, issues of a lack of uh, you know, people being able to come together to solve problems has to do with the problem of fundamentalism. And fundamentalism you know, can really show itself on, on all sides of the political spectrum. Uh, it can show itself as much on the left as on the right. Um, I, I don't want to, I, I tend to be a, a very progressive and tolerant person, so I tend to, I guess, to be more left-leaning in my politics than right-leaning, but I do notice or have noticed that on the left there can be a sense of uh, fundamentalism, and, and you might even call it, I call it sometimes secular fundamentalism. And um, so I think that the point being is, is that I believe everyone should have an open mind and be willing to listen to other people. The United States was really formed uh, on the basis of tolerance. That's really the ideas behind the Western Enlightenment coming out of, you know, the 17th century. Uh, those thinkers really uh, developed uh, those the ideas that were the foundation for the United States. It had to do with tolerance, had to do with the fact that you should allow for uh, a variety of different opinions and, and points of view to exist under the umbrella of a democracy. And that was the really uh, the idea was to be protective of individual rights and to be protective of religious rights and uh, to be tolerant. And I think that we need to look at those ideas of the Western Enlightenment and really go back to them in many ways and realize that it's important for us to feel tolerant for other people to have their own point of view as long as they're not encroaching on other people's rights to have their point of view or to express themselves or live their life as they see fit as an individual. So the, the experiment of the United States, which is still an experiment, it isn't a done deal, it could certainly devolve at some point, I, I'm sure it could happen, you know, things do fall apart, as they say. Um, but what, you know, we can devolve into uh, in terms of the United States pitting one particular worldview against another is a fragmentation that leads to a lack of belief in the foundational elements of tolerance that the country was founded on. 
So really, um, you know, in terms of the scientific method, uh, empiricism, the scientific uh, method that rose out of the Enlightenment, really there's a moral philosophy, you might say, that also comes out of that. And that moral philosophy really has to do with having to accept responsibility for our particular view, but that our particular view should be ideally grounded in a set of common facts, a set of a common, a common reality that we can agree on. Um, now, in the age of quantum physics and relative, uh, you know, uh, relativity and all of that, uh, the idea of a common reality becomes a little bit fuzzy. I mean, you could say philosophically that there is no such thing, uh, factually, that, you know, this is all just sort of, you know, ideas in our head. Uh, therefore, you know, people can stray and they can disagree and they can actually disagree, it seems, uh, in many ways, on fundamental facts. And um, this is a problem. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how we deal with it, but it certainly would be a good thing to uh, go back to the ideas uh, of the Western Enlightenment that there can be and there should be a common basis, a common reality which we could go to and look at and work from in order to come to a common understanding of, well, what is it that's a benefit to all people across the political spectrum? What is it that is good for all people? Where, where are those ideas and where are the areas of compromise? And, um, you know, in, in today's modern world with modern politicians who are pretty much, you know, willing to say whatever they can to get a vote, um, we, you know, we, we have a little bit of a problem uh, in terms of, you might say, uh, it's a problem of nihilism. Uh, and I mentioned fundamentalism, but nihilism also can become a, a problem. Nihilism meaning the fact that people really feel they can do or say whatever uh, that's expedient. Uh, a lie can be expedient, and if it's used for your advantage politically, then it's okay. But again, you know, this really strays away from uh, really, you know, moral, the moral foundation of empir empiricism and empirical truth, that there's some kind of a fundamental factual truth that we can come to an agreement on, hopefully. Um, now, really, if you look back at the Greeks, uh, they were the ones that really formed the basis for a lot of the ideas that are foundational to the modern uh, democratic system to this day. And one of the, the ideas that the Greeks had, uh, which was very important, was the rule of law. So the rule of law says that, you know, we have a law, a set of laws that are uh, can be uniformly adhered to by all people and should be adhered to by all people. And we're, we're going to the law, we're looking to the law to be the vehicle for this common set of standards that we all live to. And um, this is really important because the rule of law really us usurps uh, individual law or, you know, tribal law or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, just people making things up as they go. Uh, it's really not, you know, a good thing. We need to have a common basis again for, you know, relating to each other through the rule of law. And these are, you know, some great ideas that really came out of the, the, the Greeks and uh, for the most part are adhered to to this day, even though there is, you know, some straying from these ideas for sure 
And we always need to be mindful of that and be aware of it because if we aren't, then the problems of, of fragmentation, the problems of fundamentalism, um, and the problems of nihilism can come into play. And they can really wreak havoc on our ability to hold together a society in a meaningful way. So um, the Enlightenment, really, uh, out of the West, promoted, again, in, in my reading of it, a sense of tolerance that we need to uh, have a sense of, of, of open-mindedness and tolerance within the framework of the rule of law. <clears throat> and uh, that as long as people you know, live within that framework and have a, a tolerance for each other and accept the fact that uh, you know, we can all live together and should live together under a common set of laws uh, and obey them, then we can avoid the problems of extremism. And if we avoid the problems of extremism, then we can live together in a society in a meaningful way, in a cohesive way, in a way that ultimately leads, hopefully, to some sense of, uh, of happiness and peace. And uh, that we can move towards common goals for the common good. And I'll go ahead and leave it at that. Uh, I think it's an interesting topic of discussion, some great ideas from Western philosophy. And uh, I look forward to uh, discussing some of these ideas more in, in other podcasts. But until then, um, have a great uh, day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.